This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 95 of Go To Grandma, airing on Zoomer Radio Saturday, June the 3rd, 2023. I'm your host and Go To Grandma, Kathy Buckworth. When I started this show two years ago, I had two grandchildren. But thanks to my daughter, Tori Halpin, and her husband, Brayden, we have just welcomed grandbaby number three and our first granddaughter, Sloane Isabel Halpin. She's healthy, and we are so happy to have her join my family of wise, wise women. Sure, the men are fine, too, but it wouldn't segue as well into this week's interviews. We start our show this week with Gina Sorrell's best-selling novel, The Wise Women, which looks at the wise family of women. The matriarch of this story famously advises the world on life issues while struggling to find the right things to say to her own daughters and grandchild. Sound familiar? We're sometimes great with telling strangers how to live their lives, but it can be harder closer to home. This real and humorous novel is my recommendation for a great summer read. What, you don't want to sit and read a book all afternoon? You want to go skydiving, climb a mountain, jump off a cliff? Well, you're still with the right show as I talk to Andrea Mandel Campbell, the founder of Caribou Adventures. This adventure travel company is focused on active travel to places you might not have considered. Find out how travel has changed since the pandemic and why more of us are looking for destinations and experiences that take us out of our comfort zone. One thing that makes us all uncomfortable is the idea of being taken advantage financially. Unfortunately, this is happening more and more with seniors. And today we have part one of a two-part interview on how elder financial abuse is taking place and what we can do to protect ourselves by first understanding what it is and how it could happen to any of us. A very important discussion with the wise folks at RBC. Coffee makes you wiser, right? Let's go with that, and let's go to our first interview with Gina Sorrell right after this. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. Gina Sorrell is the author of The Wise Women and Mothers and Other Strangers. Her writing has appeared in Good Housekeeping, Lit Hub, Dame Magazine, Refinery29, and The Globe and Mail. Originally from Johannesburg, Gina has lived in New York and Los Angeles and now lives in Toronto with her family, where she balances the solitary hours of fiction writing with work as a brand storyteller. Good morning, Gina. Thanks so much for coming on GoToGrandma this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So the book, The Wise Women, I'm just going to read a quick quote, which for me defined the central character, Wendy Wise. There's a fine line between meddling and mothering. A wise woman knows that it's every mother's right to cross it. <laughs> so this this is Wendy sort of in a nutshell, wouldn't you say? Yes. I agree. So the book, The Wise Women, Wise is their last name, but it obviously works on another level as well. It's about Wendy and her two daughters, and Wendy's a grandma as well. There's a number of plot lines running through this book. It's not just one mother clashing with her daughters. It's the daughters and their relationship, their lives. So when you're writing this book, was there one plot line or theme that started you off? Yes, there was, actually. I started out with Clementine. She Mm. was the voice that was uh, the strongest for me. You know, I wanted to look at somebody who was in crisis. Um, and who felt betrayed, but in a different way than we normally think about it. You know, at the beginning of the book, it's not going to give it away too much, but at the beginning of the book, Clementine discovers that the house that she thought she owned 
she's actually renting because her husband, Steve, has taken all of their money and funneled it into his failing vegetable water startup called Aquavet. I love that. I love it. Great, terrible name. And that's a real betrayal that she's experiencing. And that got me thinking about ways that we can feel betrayed in life. You know, Barb is dealing with feeling like her own process of rehabbing neighborhoods has turned into gentrification. She's an architect and a designer. You know, Wendy feels betrayed because she is an advice columnist who has been, you know, unceremoniously been put out to pasture for being too old by the magazine that she's worked at for decades. So it really, it started with that central theme and that one voice of Clementine. And then all the other people came into focus. You know, what was Barb, her sister, going through in her life, as I just mentioned? What was Wendy, the mom, dealing with? And what would it be like if these women hadn't shared all of these crises that they're dealing with with one another but realized that the only way to move forward was to be able to rally together and help one another. Yeah, and there's that theme of women helping women, but also sort yes. of the complicated relations that we have. And and again, I'll just quickly, so Wendy Wise is the mom. You know, her quote would be, a wise woman knows that the biggest investment she can make is in herself. Clementine, one of her daughters, would say, when you invest in yourself, you're able to invest in others. But Barb would say, some people are very invested in giving other people advice, but we love them anyway, <laughs> which really goes back to her mom, the advice columnist who can't really get her daughters to take her advice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wendy's advice is for a different time and a different yep. generation. And the interesting thing is it was advice that she was giving women, but she wasn't necessarily taking it herself. You know, she's an interesting, complicated character because she, um, on one hand, is a real pioneer. You know, she was widowed and then she's divorced and she's raising these two girls on her own in New York City. And at the same time, she's been hired to give advice to a really traditional type of stay-at-home woman. You know, maybe somebody who works part-time in the workforce or, you know, put her husband's needs first. And so even though it was incredibly popular during her day, it starts to become really outdated. And I think the real issue lies with the fact that Clementine relies so heavily on her mom's advice, you know, sort of as a proxy for her mom being away and being mm-hmm. too busy growing up. She really relies on it and relying on that advice, that's not really specific to her, has gotten her in a lot of hot water. Whereas Barb, you know, just rejected it outright. So she's <laughs> exactly. doing much better. Exactly. There's a, a, you know, an amazing range of characters in this book. I'll be honest with you, Gina, I'm a nonfiction writer. I've written books, but I've, tri- I've written one novel and I find it hard to keep characters straight. You have a lot <laughs> of characters in this book. How do you invest in so many different people? That's a really great question. And it's, it's tricky. You know, I think I love my secondary characters. I think they add so much to the world of the, of the three main women that we have been created. But I also just think that There's so many people in our own lives, you know, that maybe they're not your best friend, maybe they're not the person who, you know, is a family member, but they're that person you talk to every morning when you get your coffee, and you notice them when they're not there, you know, and as a a novelist, they're a great way to, to flesh out the lives and worlds of the characters, but I also, I just, I think it's really important, these different people that touch our lives, and even if they're not leading players, and I wanted to to explore some of that. It's also a great opportunity to bring in humor into the book in a way which I really wanted to do with this story and in which the stakes maybe aren't so high for some of those secondary characters. But yeah, if you were in my office right now, you would see there's a giant white erase board that I'm staring at nice. with tons of scribble notes and characters and postcards and you know stickies and all kinds of things to keep me on track. And it's so interesting you mentioned the secondary characters. I read something recently that during lockdown, those are the relationships that we lost, that person right at the coffee shop or, you know, the people that we saw on our way to work every day that we didn't really know, but we chatted to. And and so it's great that you explore those relationships. And you're right. Their humor is runs through the book, which I love. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And how do you keep the balance between the levity of their best and worst selves, 
you know, versus there's some serious issues in this book, specifically yeah. in the lives of these women. You know, that's a, it's a challenge. I'm not going to lie. And it's something that I really wanted to work towards with this book. You know, my, my first book was much more literary and darker. And uh, the women were another mother-daughter relationship, but very complicated and not with the same humor at all. And I think, you know, I was writing this during a time in 2019 where there was just so much going on and then heading into the pandemic, you know, revising it. And for me, I I was really looking to stories that were hopeful and humorous that still had a message. But, you know, as a friend of mine says, you know, that famous quote, right, you know, spoonful of sugar, oh, Mary Poppins. I believe it's Mary Mm -hmm. Poppins because it makes it go down. You know, and it does really... um, that sometimes gets the message across in a way that I feel can be really accessible. And this was important to me that these women were relatable. So I think I start with a very serious, from a very serious place. And then I try to see the humor in it, because if you don't find the funny in it, it's just, you know, it's just all too much. It is. It can can just seem really dreadful and kind of hopeless. And I wanted to show that in this book, that even though things aren't always the way that we expected, they could even turn out better than we hoped. Is Wendy a good grandma role model? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. Hmm. Hmm. Um, You know what? I think actually Wendy is a great grandma. I do. Now, was Wendy a great mother? That's debatable. You know, I think that she did the absolute best that she could during her, like given her circumstances and during her time. And I think the best thing about Wendy as a mother and as a grandmother is that she's willing to grow and learn from her mistakes. Yeah. Nobody's perfect, you know, but Wendy knows that and she gets wiser and wiser about that as the book goes along. And she starts to see that, you know, her view isn't the only viewpoint and that maybe her daughters aren't just extensions of her own desires, but they really are individuals onto themselves and they should be treated as such. Well, it's a terrific book and I thank you for joining me. The book is called The Wise Women. It's a novel by Gina Sorrell. And look at this. It's, a you know, a New York Times book review editor's choice. It's doing really well. I encourage everyone to pick it up and we look forward to what you put out next. That's coming out of that whiteboard in your office, oh, yeah. Gina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back to the drawing board. Thanks, Thanks so, so much. much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Andrea Mandel Campbell is the founder of a newly launched mission-driven adventure travel company focused on active travel to unique wild places. A best-selling author, former foreign correspondent with the Financial Times and CTV anchor, Andrea is a longtime corporate advisor and sits on a number of boards. Good morning, Andrea Mandel Campbell. Thanks so much for coming in studio today. Oh, pleasure to be here. So Caribou Adventures, it's very exciting. I've been through your website. I encourage everyone to go there at caribouadventures.com. Why did you just decide to start this business? What inspired you to do this? Well, a lot of things inspired me to do this. I think like a lot of people in COVID, there was a bit of a reset around how do I want to spend my time and what really matters to me and what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about taking care of yourself, about wellness and health. I'm passionate about nature and I'm passionate about travel. So I put those three things together and came up with Caribou Adventures, which is really about sharing the beauty of unique wild places and helping to protect them as part of that effort. So if I'm interested in doing one of your trips, what kinds of things am I looking at on your website? Let's say I want some sort of hiking adventure. I want some sort of camping adventure. How do I go about searching for that sort of thing on your site? What's the process? Well, we try and make it as seamless as possible. So we have at the moment three 
fabulous trips. Hiking, we do an amazing trip to a real hidden gem in northern Italy that I can guarantee none of your listeners know about or have heard about, but it is absolutely spectacular. It's a UNESCO geopark in the Italian Alps on the backside of Zermatt, close to the French border. Beautiful hiking. It's actually the home of my family for the last 500 years. So it's a really special, I would say, local experience where um, you arrive in Alanya Valsesia, which is basically the the gem of this part of the world. It's also a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And over the course of, of six days, we take you on a different, really spectacular hike each day. You're walking through these beautiful valleys you do a really nice hike, you get to the top, and there is a mountain refuge that, you know, only the Italians can do with wine flowing and a delicious meal. You relax in this spectacular view and then make your way down, um, back down, and then, um, you know, we'll have dinner in the village. And And basically every day is about being active, being out, being immersed in nature, but also enjoying great food and allowing time to dilate in a way that you can't, you know, not in the city, where all of a sudden a week-long trip feels like you've been away for three. And so we have local guides, I assume, that are taking this through this. How do I know if I'm sort of fit enough to do this sort of hike? Is it going to be too taxing? How can I sort of judge that level of activity? Well, we have, when you look at the itinerary, you'll see um, the length of time it takes. You'll see the elevation. Mm -hmm. So that'll give you a good sense of whether this is something that you can do. What I would say is we've built these trips for people who like to be active Mm -hmm you know, who are exercising maybe two, three times a week. But it's not meant for hyper, you know, if you're somebody who's looking to do an Ironman. I was just going to say, it's not an Ironman. It's not, you know, I'm really trying to build out the, we could design a a trip into this, to Alanya Valsesia with harder hikes, with easier hikes. They can be adjusted based on who the group is, but we're trying to really get that sweet spot in the middle where you feel like you've done something, you feel great, a little tired, but kind of on top of the world. But we don't want to basically cut people out from not being able to have the experience. So groups are about six to 12 people. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And how do you choose your destinations? I see you have one on there right now for Ontario and one Mm -hmm. in BC. They look fantastic as well. So how do you go about that? Well, I should preface by saying, you know, I'm somebody who's traveled my whole life. I was a foreign correspondent in Latin America for 10 years. And I, you know, travel being a passion of mine from the time my kids were three, we were taking them to uh, Borneo, to Utah, to Mexico City, you name it. And what I've done is I've started by choosing places that based on everywhere I know in the world, these are standout places. You know, I've looked at Canada from an outsider's eye and Canada, in my view, has some of the most beautiful places in the world. And I've chosen places that I know well, that to me are real highlights in this country. And I've tried to curate unique experiences that bring the best, not only the best of what these places have to offer, but allow you to experience them in a very deep and uh, grassroots way. So if I look at, for example, North Vancouver Island, everybody who goes to Vancouver Island, often it's Tofino and Victoria. That's what you hear about. 
But if you want to go to a place in the world, the best place in the world to see orca whale, you're going to the northern tip of Vancouver Island. And not only that, but it is a place so rich in indigenous culture and history. And I've partnered with some amazing community leaders, uh, world-renowned artists. So we take the time to go to the workshop of a renowned totem pole carver and printer and storyteller. We spend time with him. Uh, We go into the Great Bear Rainforest with a cultural leader who is inviting actually caribou for the first time, anyone who's been invited onto his ancestral territory to hear about how his community is revitalizing their language and being environmental stewards for such an important part of the world. So it's a really way of really deeply connecting both with people and with nature. You say it's mission-based travel, and I get that listening to you speak because it's not just adventure. It's the best kind of travel, educational travel, where you don't realize you're being educated. Exactly. It's the best kind. It's the best kind. And if I were to say, let's say, a multi-generational trip, if I were to plan that, what would be the youngest, you would say, as a a grandkid you would want to see? I would say if I were to take... I mean, a little biased. Mm -hmm. My kids have been doing this hiking trip since they were four years old. I have pictures of my little guy (laughs) sitting on the, you know, top of a on the top of an Alp. So it's really all what you're used to. But for example, I would say for the hiking trip, I'd say 10, 12. Yeah. Same with the canoeing trip, 10, 12. The hiking, we put it, uh, sorry, the kayak, we we put a little higher just because you're out in, you know, you're out in an ocean straight. So we we say 13, 14, 15 is probably when you want to start. That makes a lot of sense. And so it's really easy to find on your website, which I should say is caribou is K-A-R-I-B. You, not caribou as in the elk, yeah. um, to find it there. And you can select your package. There, You have tons of information on there about what's involved in the trips. Anything else you want to say to anyone thinking about this type of adventure travel? How far in advance should we sort of look at this sort of thing? Well, I'm a bit of a, you know, kind of spontaneous person. So, I, you know, I'm often planning only a couple of months in advance. What I would just say is because travel has become a little bit more challenging than it was in the past when it comes to booking flights in Mm -hmm. particular, I would say, you know, you want to be looking four or five. You know, if you're based in Toronto, you can do the tomogamy trip because you're just getting in your car. So now is a great time to be thinking about, do I want to do that canoe trip and do I want to do it where someone else has thought of all the cool things to do, and I don't want to do the planning, but I want to see some of the best, you know, canoeing in Canada. That's a great one. But if you want to go to Italy, for example, or even out to Vancouver, getting your flights planned earlier, uh, I would say, is better. And in fact, we're just about to our 2024 flight, uh, our 2024 departures have just been put, actually yesterday, put up on our website. So if people are thinking about what do they want to do in 2024 and they want to start planning, you can check it out. Perfect timing. Okay, thanks so much for coming in and telling us all about this. I'm going to look into it for myself. CaribouAdventures.com. You are on Instagram at caribou underscore adventures as well. Thanks so much, Andrea. Oh, thank you. Elaine Blades is a senior manager for the professional practice group at RBC Royal Trust. She is the principal resource for technical and legal expertise for trust and estate matters. Elaine serves on the board and as chair of the education committee for the Canadian branch of the Society of Trust and Estate Practitioners, is a frequent writer and presenter on estate and trust topics. Her articles and blogs can be found at advisor.ca, allaboutestates.ca, and on LinkedIn. She is also a soon-to-be grandmother. Good morning, Elaine. Thanks for being part of our Take 5 with RBC interview. 
Thank you, Cassie, for having me today. Today, we're going to talk about, we're doing a two-part series on this, actually, because it's so important. So this is part one of our interview about financial elder abuse. So we hear about it, but to get started, can you explain exactly what financial elder abuse is? Sure. Financial elder abuse, it's actually one of several types of elder abuse and probably the most common. And it involves any situation where the older person's assets, finances, belongings are being misused by a person in a position of trust or authority to that older person. Some of the signs of financial abuse may include, you know, money goes missing or valuables go missing, suspicious or unusual activity in a bank account with credit cards or an investment account, perhaps the appearance of a new caregiver, particularly if the older person appears fearful or anxious around that new person, Sometimes what is called predatory marriage, that's uh, a person often much younger. They may insert themselves into the family of the older person and likely roll in their inheritance by marrying the vulnerable person. There can also be abrupt or unexplained uh, transfer of property, say the transfer of the title of a cottage, changes in banking arrangements, making an account joint, for example, and also unexplained changes um, to the distribution in a will or who someone's appointed as their attorney for property. These can all be examples of financial abuse. And family dynamics can also play a part. So although scammers do target older Canadians, you know, we hear about this, whether it's via phone, text, email, online, sadly, financial abuse is usually done by someone in the family, something I don't think we emphasize enough. So are there ways that we can help protect ourselves from financial abuse? One of the best ways, with proper documentation, including a continuing power of attorney for property, and by appointing the right attorney for property to act in your best interest, this can really go a long way towards protecting you in the event you become incapable of managing your financial affairs, a time when, of course, you may be at your most vulnerable. So so just a quick word on terminology. The document is titled Continuing Power of Attorney for Property, and the person, or perhaps a trust company, appointed is known as the attorney for property. In this case, of course, attorney doesn't mean lawyer, although a lawyer could be your attorney for property. So to keep things simple, I'll refer to the document as the POA for property and to the person acting as attorney. So we know from an Ipsos survey recently conducted by RBC Royal Trust that 65% of Canadians have not appointed an attorney for property and that nearly a quarter of Canadians have no idea how to go about doing so. So not having a POA for property in place before you become incapable, when of course it's too late to prepare one, it can really leave you at heightened risk for financial abuse. For those who do not have a POA for property and those who don't know where to start, I just want to let you know that there is help available. A trust company like RBC Royal Trust can really help in two ways. First, we can be appointed as your attorney for property, so appointed in the document itself, And in that case, we have what is known as a fiduciary duty, which is really the highest duty out there, to manage your property properly. We fully understand the duties of an attorney set out at law, and we exercise them accordingly. These duties include always acting in the best interests of the incapable person, prudently managing their asset, and keeping detailed accounts of all transactions. The other way we can help is 
most people actually appoint a friend or family member, this is the most common, as their attorney for property. And it's important for those appointing and also the attorneys to know they don't need to go it alone. In many cases, the attorney may need or benefit from help understanding and discharging their duties. And the skilled professionals at Royal Trust are available to assist attorneys with their responsibilities. So this can really be a great benefit to both the attorney and the incapable person. What circumstances could someone find themselves in when they may want to consider turning to the professionals for help? There are actually many circumstances that could lead to someone wanting to appoint a professional as their attorney. Some of the most common are wanting your family to focus on your personal care instead of worrying about managing your property, your loved ones not having the skill set needed to fulfill the role, you don't have any close friends or family. Sometimes we meet clients who say, I've outlived everybody. There's no one around to help me with this. Or there's no one who lives nearby or at least in the same legal jurisdiction, which really is quite important. Or you may have complex family dynamics that may get worse when one you know, member of the family needs to start looking after property on your behalf. So appointing only one child may cause problems if you have more than one child, but appointing two or more can also, you know, be problematic. Expecting them to cooperate and agree on the many decisions which uh, will need to be made may not be the best idea. So keeping in mind that an individual may live with mental incapacity for many years, it's really important to give careful consideration to who you choose because this can be a really long-term commitment. Thank you so much for this, Elaine. It's so helpful. And if we want more information, we can go to Royal Trust at rbc.com slash Royal Trust. Thanks again. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. I'm not young enough to know everything. J.M. Barry. I'm old enough to know what I don't know. But what I do know is that reading is one of the best ways to escape from the real world. And that adventurous travel is one of the best ways to show us what the real world is all about. Thanks to Gina and Andrea for providing us with their own measure of escapism. Next week on Go to Grandma, author and not that kind of rabbi, Ralph Ben Mergi is back on the show to talk about how we start or continue to build an environment of respect for elders in Canada as other cultures have. Is it something we are truly lacking here? As elders, what role do we have to take on ourselves? How can being a grandparent help build respect with younger generations? And we go deeper on this topic as Dr. Simar Sinha from the National Institute on Aging tells us about the results of his research study, The Perspectives on Growing Older in Canada. What are the most pressing things facing and concerning seniors in Canada? We'll find out. And we should all be concerned about inclusivity and acceptance, no matter what our age, gender, or sexual orientation. We have a special Take 5 with RBC interview, which looks at the history and the importance of Pride Weeks and months, and what different celebrations have to offer to everyone. Thanks for dropping in again to our show, and a special thanks to my amazing producer, Kelly Robotham, who has been extremely flexible as I rearranged recordings and interviews at the last minute in order to accommodate the birth of my granddaughter, Sloan, or as I like to call her, my latest grandma credential. Of course, I'm kidding, but I'm not joking when I ask you to keep coming back to join our growing gang of grandparents. We need team jackets. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Instagram at Kathy Buckworth or email her, Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.